Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Care Home Option podcast series. I'm Gabriella Wills and with me today as always is our producer Drew Rice. Hello Gabriella and hello to all our listeners. Just before we delve into today's episode, just a very quick recap on the last one where we explained the types of dementia, what it's like to live with the condition and then mainly focused on the impact of dementia on the person's cognition and uh, possibly behaviours, as well as how we can best support them. In today's episode, we are going to focus on the uh, physical impairments that could be caused by dementia, uh, and particularly sensory deficits such as to hearing, vision, and others. Well, Gabriella, it's time for our special guest, Porik Garrett, a dementia expert. Uh, we've been talking before about the cognitive side of dementia, and now Porik is going to help us explore the physical side. Welcome, Porik. Hello, Gabrielle and Drew. It's nice to be with you this evening. I'm Porik Garrett. And uh, I've worked in uh, care for about 30 years, uh, doing various things. But at about 15 years ago, I began to specialise in dementia. Prior to that, I had worked in mental health and for a short while in end-of-life care. Um, so my background in dementia is very much person-centred approach. Uh, I worked for a very large organisation. And within that organisation for many years, I managed services for people living with dementia, but also I did a lot of uh, staff development on the person-centred approach to supporting people who live with dementia in care homes and indeed other, other services that the organisation offered as well. Porik, it's good that you uh, introduced the person-centred approach. Mm. We talked in the previous um, episode about the new culture of care, yeah. but could you just in a few words explain what person-centred approach is and how it fits into this new mm. culture? Well, well, for me, it's, it's very much that we're all individuals. Every single person is different, and we come with our own personalities, our various life stories, where we come from, cultures, and so on. So when you talk about dementia, you can talk about generalities in dementia. When it comes to working with somebody or supporting a person, you need to know the person. And the more you know that person, the better you know that person, the better you will be able to engage with that person throughout their life living with dementia. Sure. Makes a lot of sense and echoes what Romy was speaking about in the uh, previous yeah. episode. So as was mentioned um, Today, we would like your input and insight into what and how can dementia, and we know there are different types, but in general terms, what are the physical changes that could occur within the progression of the condition? Well, I suppose the first thing I would say is, you know, as you've mentioned before in, in other um, sessions you've spoken about uh, the fact there are a number of different types of dementia but what's in common with them all is it is uh, conditions that affect the brain 
So basically, we know that the brain affects everything, everything we do, including our bodies, yeah. you know, and our movement and everything. So dementia will progress differently in every single individual. Um, there may be broad patterns for Alzheimer's disease or, or, or other dementias. However, every individual will be different. But as the disease progresses, what we know, there will be atrophy in the, in, in the brain and all the various functions of the brain will be affected uh, eventually, depending on, on how long a person lives with dementia. Um, but I think what's also important to understand is that, you know, as we go through life, we may live with more than one condition at one time. And so for me, my experiences of supporting staff who support people with dementia in care homes is that the vast majority of residents are living with dementia and other conditions as well, which are affecting their mobility, their sight, their hearing, um, so many other things. So sometimes it can be hard to single out what is in relation to dementia and what is in relation to the other comorbidities. However, I think it's, I will come back to person-centered approaches. It's about mm -hmm. understanding what's going on for that person. Um, but for example, you know, I'll talk about a little bit about sensory loss, um, sensory impairments that are related to dementia as well. So when we talk about sensory, we're obviously talking about things like our hearing, our sight, taste, smell, and so on. So, you know, as the brain uh, develops disease, it may affect, because of that dementia disease, disease related to dementia, it may affect your sight or your perception. But that might not be because there's an issue in your eyes. Mm. Uh, it may be that, you know, the eyes are, are sending the information quite well to the brain, but the brain isn't able to process that information right. in the same way. Yeah. So the perception may not be the same. Or somebody might have hallucinations and so on in relation to some kinds of dementia. Uh, and similarly with hearing, um, it may be that a person's hearing is quite well for their age. However, they have the challenging of processing what they hear. So for example, in Alzheimer's, it's, it's quite common or very usual, really, for people to begin to experience issues with processing words and language. And that would be when the temporal lobe of the brain is affected. So while they may hear a conversation quite clearly, um, the actual brain's ability to process that information and make sense of that information is where the issues are may be occurring. Yeah. But I do find it very important to say that you need to look holistically at the person. Because we know as well that uh, people, if you have a hearing loss, uh, you are more likely to get dementia. That's, oh, wow. Yes, there have been studies that have said that. And you can understand that because quite often people with hearing loss may experience social isolation, they may stop going out and may affect uh, how they relate with other people in many different ways. Um, 
And it may, it may even affect you know, how they access their GPs, yeah. uh, access various services and so on. And so there may, it may result in that person being more susceptible. It may, it may result in the person being more, uh, their immune system being affected and so on. So there are, statistically, you are more likely if you have a hearing loss that you're not dealing with. And I think it's quite similar with sight loss as well. So what I would like to emphasize is the importance of looking after yourself, mm-hmm. and, you know, whether you have a diagnosis of dementia or not as you get older. Because um, with hearing loss, uh, for example, people tend not to go for, uh, to the audiologist or to their GP to talk about their hearing loss. People often, for whatever reasons, don't acknowledge their hearing loss. But that's a real issue because when you actually uh, put it off a long time, when you are actually then prescribed a hearing aid, you have a less good outcome than if you started wearing that hearing aid earlier on. Now, and if you could relate that to dementia, um, this is a, quite an important connection here as well. Because with, with dementia, you know uh, that people... Uh, short-term memory goes. So the things you did uh, recently uh, are less likely to be accessible to you. Yeah. So for people who haven't, who have been diagnosed to have or prescribed hearing aids later in life, you know, maybe at the very earlier stages of their dementia, um, they may struggle in terms of understanding why they're wearing that hearing aid. And if they haven't built up a pattern of, you know, putting in the hearing aids and it hasn't been hardwired in the brain that I do this every day and this really helps me, I can communicate better. If that pattern hasn't been built up and they've only been prescribed the hearing aids maybe in the early stages of dementia or later on in dementia, it's very hard for them to process why they're wearing that hearing aid. And that's why we have so many people taking it and putting it exactly. somewhere. They don't exactly. want it. It doesn't belong to them. Yeah. Some of the things that may occur is that people will think that there is a barrier or a step That's right, yeah. or something, and, and it will then lead to them not being able to go somewhere. That's right. So there are things in the environment that we need to do in order to try and compensate for that. And I wonder if you can give a few examples. Yeah, well, what I would say with the environment, you know, in terms of sight loss, it is important to have consistent lighting. So if there are shadows or, you know, you're walking down a corridor and there's a brighter patch and a darker patch, for that person's perception... It's quite, it can be quite difficult to process that moving from one to the other. As you get older anyway, that happens. But with the added disadvantage of dementia and the yeah. processing of it, it can be much harder to, 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 uh, to process that information. Um, and the thing you said about steps, again, is the contrast in colours. So what may appear to be, um, if you have a darker colour, on a lighter colour, the darker colour may look like much deeper. It might be uh, like look like a step down. So the person may lift their leg 
to step down, but actually it's not a step. And so their leg lands faster and that makes them stumble and fall. So things like that are very important. So to have consistent lighting, to have good lighting. And things like, you know, the light is coming behind them. Well, if you're standing in front of them and that light is on your face, that's helpful for communication. Well, yeah. if it's from behind, then if it's you from can't behind, well, yeah. anyone. Yeah, if, 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 if the light is not falling on your face, then they can't see it. Yeah. So, as well, you know, like, even for food on a plate, mm. a person might have difficulties distinguishing the food from the plate. So the plate from the table. Uh, the plate from the table. So, you, you know, if you have... If you can make sure that there's a contrast in colour between the tablecloth and and the plate, that can help a great deal. And similarly, even the food on the plate. If you know, if you're going to have white food on a white plate, that's not going to be easy for the person to recognise because the person is having difficulties processing what that information. See. What they see. And we'll talk later about maybe difficulties in swallowing and taking yes. in food, um, but again, if food for whatever reason is um, mashed or yeah. etc., you, you mentioned white food, what we want to see is food that looks as much as possible like what the person is eating, well, so if you're eating chicken or meat, you want it to look yeah. a bit like that, because that helps with the clues, doesn't it? Yeah. In fact, the clues are really important, yeah, is to be able to recognise the food in front of you. So if the food is mashed up and presented in a way which is not attractive, that's not going to be helpful for the person. I mean, it is important to say that, you know, persons, it, people with dementia, sometimes their preferences change as well, quite mm. radically. Uh, and, and people who, you know, didn't like meat might sometimes with dementia, suddenly start wanting to eat meat and so on. So there are, these things happen as well. Our taste, preferences, may prefer sweeter stuff, different kinds of food and so on. So, so it's, it's important to have it, an open... It's, open... it's important to go with the person and listen to the person, uh, except that yeah. people change with dementia as well. Um, before we leave the sensory arena to do with dementia, um, just back to hearing... And the point about, again, you, you worked in mental health as well, mm. so depression and, mm. or low mood. Yeah. Um, again, I would think that if somebody can't hear, anyway, it, it brings, you know, the mm. person's, uh, some, a lot of the time, if it's difficult to hear, if it's difficult to understand, the person withdraws. Exactly. So Totally right. So it is even more important to make sure that we check on people. Again, we won't force somebody um, to wear a hearing aid. And there are other alternatives. There are other alternatives. It's not just hearing aids that people can wear. But it, it is important that people have their hearing tested regularly. People should have their hearing tested uh, every two years or when there's a noticeable difference. So that shouldn't be any different for somebody uh, living with dementia. And there are, you know, audiologists can uh, adapt their, te their tests for people living with dementia as well, as the, sa the same as opticians can, yeah. you know. So they, they can be adapted and it's really important. F 
people are more used to going and having their eyes tested every two years and less so for hearing, but it needs, it needs to happen for both. Now, just the simple things of, you know, the maintenance of hearing aids. You know, if somebody has, is a hearing aid user and the battery is not working in the hearing aid, well, then that's a, that's a really terrible obstacle for that person, considering they're trying to, they're already... Uh, have a disability in terms of dementia and then you add on that extra disability of, of their hearing aid not working properly. You can simply address that in a hearing in, in a home quite easily by making sure that the batteries in all hearing aids are changed once a week, right. preferably on the same day every week because right. generally a battery lasts from seven to ten days. So there's simple things like that can stop... Um, this issue of somebody having a battery that's not working. Now, why does that happen for somebody with dementia and not other people? Because the batteries send a signal, a noise, uh, play a little tune when the battery is running out. So the person knows, I need to change my battery. The battery is going to go down in a, in a few minutes. Uh, however, the person with dementia might no longer recognise what that tune is or what that means. And so they're going around with hearing aids. Basically a bit of plastic in their yeah. ear that does nothing. Yeah. And other things like uh, earwax build up. Mm. You know, as we get older, and particularly if you were in a hearing age, you will have more earwax. So you need to have your ears checked for earwax mm. frequently. The tubing of the hearing aid needs to be uh, checked as well regularly. So if, if staff in the home are trained around that and educated around that and they can put systems and protocols in place to make sure that those things, the hearing aids work. But there are other things as well, like handheld devices, because somebody, as you quite rightly said, for whatever reason, they may not want to wear a hearing aid. One of those reasons is background noise. Because mm. when you wear a hearing aid, you hear the background noise as loudly as something quite close to you. So can you imagine, if you have dementia... And there's all this sensory information coming at you yeah. and your brain is not able to process that information quickly because there are issues in the processing. That can be an overwhelming experience. So people do take them out. However, there are handheld devices which might, somebody might be able to use you know, for conversation with their family member mm. or with a staff member for 10 minutes, half an hour. And we've seen fantastic breakthroughs with people with that, that they just can really have that quality conversation. And it's more on their terms then. Yeah. Similarly, you know, with sight loss, some of the most basic things, like if somebody wears glasses, um, they may not be caring for the glasses the way they used to. You know, are they clean in the morning? Are they on? Have they got the right glasses on? You know, if they've got two pairs of glasses, have they got the right... They don't have the reading glasses on instead mm -hmm. of the distance glasses. Those very, very basic things, you know, in a care home, there needs to be a good care plan around that that's very detailed about how a person is supported to maintain... Uh, to, to look after their glasses, their hearing aids, or anything else. Because that can be... It can just, you know, put them at a terrible disadvantage. And things, things you know, there, there are many, unlike in one's own home, there are several people who are wearing glasses and so on. So you need to be able to identify what, what belongs to whom. And so systems to be put in place for all of that, you know, they really do work. You know, when the key worker knows, well, I know this is this person's glasses because... Uh, 
I have a record of it and I know this is this person's hearing aid because I know the serial number or whatever. So those just very practical things. But of course it applies also, you know, the cleaning of the glass. These things that you mentioned may also be very helpful for somebody living at home, either Absolutely. for somebody who is a family carer or a carer that comes in, or even if the family carer is not able to do it, if they go to a day centre, maybe ask them yeah. to do it. So just, I think what you <coughs> demonstrate and illustrate really clearly is that maintaining those aids yeah. can help make a big difference between somebody still having communication and interaction yeah. and an understanding, a sensory yeah. understanding of the world around them. It's either there or it's really not, and yeah. then it's not. It can have so many other... Yeah, and you mentioned communication, and I think communication is a massively big factor here. And so uh, my experience is that we are all rushing around a lot. We, wor we work and live in a very fast society, whether we realise it or not. You know, from morning to night, we are usually we're under quite a lot of pressure and we're moving very fast, we're processing a lot of information, dealing with a lot of things together. And that's no different in, in care homes. Mm. Staff are very busy. So when I used to develop, used to work with staff in care homes around dementia, the biggest word was pace. What pace are you going at? Be aware of the pace you're going at. Because usually we are rushing, we are going at too fast a pace for, that, for a person with dementia to be able to process the information we're giving them. So whether, if a person has sight loss, and very often a person will have to a degree, some sight loss, some hearing loss, maybe dementia specific or maybe not, uh, and they're coping with dementia as well. It is really important to slow down, give the person a chance. And in terms of, you know, how much information you give somebody at one time, you also need to be aware of not to have too long, complicated uh, phrases and questions. And I think uh, when you were speaking to Romy, you spoke also about, I think one of you, we were talking about, um, you know, sometimes we ask a lot of questions of people with dementia and say, why don't you do that? Or, what, yeah. you know, so putting people on the spot is not great. And talking about two-way communication, one, I think, as again, going to sight and, and hearing, stand in front of the person. Yes. Make sure that you don't that you your diction yeah. is as clear as it can be. Yeah. The volume, not shouting at people, but just taking into account that we need to they need to be able to take that sensory information in. Yeah. A typical example that I always felt is so it's such a shame. It's such a missed opportunity. You ask somebody with dementia something, they don't answer like this. Yeah. Oh, okay, they, they, they're not answering. Well, actually, they're, waiting a little bit, yeah. the answer will come. Because they're, take, they're taking time to process that information. And to then be able yeah. to, to respond. And, and sometimes they won't respond. They won't respond with the words that you're expecting. So you have to be able to interpret how that person is responding. So if somebody has aphasia, which is, you know, the, the temporal lobe is affected and you can't process speech in, uh, in the same way or be able to produce speech in the same way. So they may 
give the wrong words. Yeah. They may say yes and they may no, uh, and so on. So if you're working closely with somebody, you need to begin to be able to interpret more widely than just the words that somebody is saying, if you've noticed that they are mixing up words. So patience with that, but understanding, and I think a sense of connection. It's all about a relationship with the person and the connection with the person. That will make for good communication. You know, if you haven't managed to make that clear communication, sometimes writing it down, if the person can still read, writing down the subject you're talking about, that can help. But actually showing the person something as well. You know, if you're talking about going for a walk in the garden, pointing towards the garden, or talking about the weather, pointing towards the the sunlight or the rain. Um... Or if you're talking about the person's family member, there may be a photograph of the person's family member. So all those basic things can make a big difference to somebody. And meal times again, there may be a menu, and you ask, "What would you like to eat?" Or would you like an omelette or yeah. a sandwich? Much nicer to bring yeah. maybe a picture, if not the real food, yeah. and say which one would you like. Yeah. It, it, again, it's a, yeah. you talked about giving people choice and autonomy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the swallowing that, again, I know that it may be because of dementia or maybe not, but again... Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, I think we were talking about food there, so just first of all go through the, the basic things. Mm. I think oral hygiene is really important for people. So in terms of food, obviously, your teeth. So in the same way as somebody needs to be able to, to see the audiologist regularly, the dental appointments are really important as well. Now, somebody with, uh, with uh, dementia, they may not express that they're in pain or they may not uh, be able to tell you that they're in pain or point to the fact that they're in pain. But they may have toothache that's not being picked up at, picked, yeah. picked up at all, and that will affect their eating. That will affect. So you may see that a person is losing weight or they're not interested in food. So I think the first thing is to think quite widely yeah. about what's going on. So I think you should check and see: is there any? Are there any dental issues? Yeah. You know, are there any sores in in the mouth and so on? If somebody's wearing dentures as well. You know, as we get older, um, you know, our, the, our mouth changes and the dentures may be ill-fitting. Uh, and you can see if somebody loses weight and so on. So it's really important to make sure that the dentures are fitting and the person is comfortable and so on, because they won't, uh, they won't enjoy eating if that's, if that's the case. So I would say those, those basic things, uh, first of all. Um, then I would say as well, it's really important to look at uh, what the person is, likes. Yeah. Are they getting the food that they like? H- have their preferences changed? Uh, are the portions to the size that they like and so on? And sometimes people with dementia, in terms of appetite, there may be variations in that as well, in that sometimes they will uh, have eaten maybe 10 minutes ago but still want to eat again. So that, that can be very difficult for, for, for staff to manage. Uh, or other times people just don't want to sit down and eat at all. And so 
I know in, in care homes we've often looked at that in that, well, you know, recognise the fact that sitting down and eating a whole meal one time, that's not something the person wants to do anymore. But if you have food available at food stations around the home and you know what the person likes, that they may well graze on that food in a way and take what they want. But all that needs careful monitoring as well because you know the person's weight and and so on is really important to their health but i think there are there are always options but unfortunately as i said as we said earlier the you know dementia is progressive and the damage to the brain continues uh, and the atrophy continues so the parts of the brain that control swallowing, the swallowing reflexes and so on, can be affected. And it's, it's usually in the much uh, later stage, much more advanced stages of dementia that somebody will experiencing those kind of swallowing difficulties. And that's where, again, you have to have consultations with your GP, speech and language therapists and so on. So that's a very... Um, important aspect to assess exactly what is going on and they would check out all of the basic things that I've said beforehand but then actually looking at what what's happening to the swallowing reflexes so sometimes it may be uh, for um, a person when they're drinking fluid that the fluid goes down the wrong way and they they choke and cough a lot uh, and so that of course can be very dangerous for the person and, and uh, it goes into the yeah into the chest so it's it's the wrong you know it's so it's really important to uh, notice that early on and get it checked out so there are options for uh, thickeners that can go on drinks and so on and similarly for um, food you know as, as in uh, meat and vegetables and so on a person may begin to choke on those, so it may be there are various options, various levels at which you can, um, you know, dilute the food, in, or, or, you know, it might be a, uh, a pureed diet that somebody would be recommended, or much more liquid diet. So, again, the speech and language therapist would assess for that. But one of the points that you raised earlier are that it needs to be appetising. So if somebody is going to have a soft diet, as we call it, um, you know, and they're going to, and on the menu it's it's uh, chicken and broccoli and potatoes, you can present that, that the chicken looks like a breast of chicken uh, and the broccoli actually looks like a piece of broccoli. It is pureed, it is soft, uh, to the level that the person needs, but it actually looks like what it is. Whereas if that is just a mixed up... A grey mash in the middle. Yeah, that's not appetising and the person's not going to want to eat it. And flavours, yeah. flavours of the food, it's really important that they're there as well. And that can reduce as well. It, it, can, reduce, it can reduce as well. Yeah. So the person might want more seasoning. Sometimes people like the food a lot sweeter and so yeah. on. And I think... You know, generally, I think that you have to discover what somebody likes and what somebody enjoys. Because what we're about, really, is it is about the quality of the person's mm -hmm. life. Yeah. So, and the enjoyment yeah. of the inexperience yeah. of yeah. food is 
and again, and again, it, you know, it's very likely that person will have a one need one to one support at a meal time. So, it's like, if you are supporting somebody to eat their meal, how do you do that? How do you establish the relationship? How do you make that a friendly and a good experience, a social, a social experience for that person? Um, and it's that sense, it's that sense of connection that you establish with the person. So your aim is at the end of that meal that that person feels good, that they have had a good experience, that they enjoyed the food, but they've also enjoyed your company and that they feel good about themselves. And I think that's one of the things, you know, go back to person-centred care. That's what it is about. It is about that you can't, the person's emotions are still there. Mm. And the person can feel um, supported, loved and cared for. So the care home environment, that's what it can be and it should be. However, a person might have the opposite experience mm. of feeling unloved, anxious, patronised, patronized, feeling anxious about stuff because they're going to get things wrong. Or they're rushed. Or they're rushed. And that's what... That's exactly what you need to be careful of, that that doesn't happen. And if you notice somebody is becoming anxious, because, as we said, they may have mobility issues, their mobility is also affected, probably by the fact that they're much older, but also by dementia, because, again, their their, um, perception of distance, Mm. their coordination, their physical ability to walk, that is all controlled by the brain as well. And if there's damage in the brain, then that at some point will be affected as well. So but clutter shouldn't, you know, we should see the environment <laughs> is cluttered, and furniture is light enough and yeah. it also stands out. So yeah. the, the chair is not the same colour as the carpet. Going back to the meal time, just for a second, um, just to say again, I'm, I'm sure you agree, Porik, that eating nourishment uh, or rather eating is not just about the nourishment it's not just putting food into somebody's body Mm. it is a whole experience that most of us throughout our lives consider to be a social and enjoyable Mm. experience and it needs to be maintained and it's so important how tables are set out Mm. and laid out and the ambiance and Mm. as you say how people interact I, I have a very vivid memory of a person who I came across very early in my experience working with people with dementia and she had very various abilities that were really quite uh, surprising in the dementia. She could play scrabble to, you know, to quite a good level. But when she sat at the table and she had her plate with the food and she had a knife and fork in front of her she just sat there and said, what do I do now? Mm. And actually, until the knife and fork were put into her hands, then she was able to eat. Yeah. It's just the clue about what do I do. And that can lead to two things. Either people think, oh, she's not hungry today, so mm. let's take it away now. Or the opposite would be somebody would sit down, cut in and start feeding that person, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, not just helping them to eat, but actually, you know, yeah. the, the, the the teaspoon, the spoon into the mouth, and both are actually, um, yeah. not what the person needs. So, I think your your 
the pace in yeah. everything we do, reactions take time, and if we rush people, then we may, we may miss on what they yeah. can do. It creates more work for, for the, whoever the carer is, whether it's at home or in a care home. Um, but I think you're right in terms of, you know, sometimes we give too much support because it's faster yeah. and maybe easier for us, uh, but it's not necessarily the best thing for that person. Sometimes a person may take a very long time as well to eat their meal, yeah. uh, but we need to give them that time. The meal might need to be even reheated during that process, uh, but it's, the important thing is they're able to do that for themselves yeah. and at their own pace. Uh, I totally agree with that, and there are adaptations, as you know, as well. You can get, mm. you can get specially adapted uh, spoons and forks and and, and plates, plates yeah. where you can easily easily scoop up the the food because the edges yeah. are raised. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and again, that connects with um, the fact that somebody might, as well as uh, dementia, they might have arthritis or whatever else. You know, various. Yeah, yeah so. It, there's a lot out there that can support somebody as long as we're willing to give them the time and the patience and we do the research around it. Right. Yeah. And talking about the physical, the progression of yeah. the condition, um, I think you, you mentioned several times that people may have other conditions as well yeah. and they may, the, the other conditions kind of take may take over in a way so somebody may have a heart disease and they have dementia but actually it's the heart disease that in the yeah. end will bring them to the end of life and they die yeah. with dementia rather than of dementia in a way yeah. but if 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 dementia was left you know there was nothing else in itself it will at some point yeah. cause the brain to kind of yeah. Not be able to. to yeah. so it Every will... function in your body is yeah. coordinated or, or controlled by the brain, even the beating of your heart. Yeah. So um, there is a situation where somebody yeah. at some point yeah. will come to the point that the body is shutting down. The body is shutting down, yeah. And then there is, yeah. they go into this, the phase that we'll talk about yeah. uh, in our next uh, episode about how to care for somebody at the very end of their yeah. life. Yeah. And I think, you know, early on as well, is, you know, I think the whole sensory aspect, I don't think we mentioned that, but I think as, it, as the dementia progresses and, and more of the physical sides of dementia are, are, and the sensory sides, losses are there, mm. you know, a person is less able to speak, uh, communicate mm. through speech, um, maybe sight perception through perception yeah. uh, it's not clear for them what mm. they're seeing or there may be uh, you know difficulties in that area and mobility as well you know no, no longer able to walk no longer far less independence um, communication with other people a lot more difficult uh, so a person may may be in that that sort of a bubble where they're much more on their own now. Isolated. So, isolated. Yeah. so how, how do you communicate with them then? And, and I think we have, you know, there are lots where we, again, it comes down to pace and time. But I think the sensory, the touch can mm. often be really yeah. important. That, that sense of touch, that sense of, you know, a person can interpret 
um, whether something is loving and kind. Yeah, it's an intimacy. An intimacy. And, and things as well. Sometimes people like to hold um, an animal, yeah. <laughs> like a cat or, or a dog. You know, so pet therapy, so yeah. that pets are coming into them. That might be really nice for somebody. But somebody might prefer to have, you know, a stuffed toy, like, you know, a soft toy, or dolls and so on. So, and that sensory stuff is really important to people. Sometimes people like to hold uh, a piece of cloth. Yeah. Uh, and just to fiddle with. Uh, to fiddle with. Yeah. So, in, and, you know, I've seen people have made the most amazing kind of aprons that somebody can put on with all different textures mm. and so on that somebody can fiddle with. So the mind still needs that kind of stimulation in various ways. And I think, you know, music, background stuff, mm. going back to what that person liked, um, smell, yeah. that can all create an environment that holds the person. So the person is held in a sense of well-being yeah. A sense of feeling good and not being left in a state of anxiety, yeah. which can could very easily happen if we don't uh, uh, see what they need and address what they need. And you know, the, 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 that decline, particularly, mm. I think at the beginning and then at the later mm. stages, can be very difficult for family. It is. Because again it's a stage where it may be even more difficult to communicate mm. and really to kind of witness what is going mm. on but the, the we talked about visitors and it is important for people to ask for support but really not to withdraw exactly but to, to maintain that and yeah. um vitally in care homes it's vitally important they yeah. they Visitors becoming uh, family members coming and, and, and being with people, it's vitally important because in reality there are, you know, there's, there's a lot to be done in care homes. Staff are very busy. So sometimes that family member is the person who can give that bit of quality time. It is hard for them because they are experiencing many losses. You know, the first time the person doesn't recognise them, perhaps. Yeah. You know, we talked about the visual perception. Yeah. Not being able to recognise somebody's face. It's really hard for, for the family member, if they're that family member, is not recognised. However, if you can work and get over your own... Work through yeah. what you're going through yourself as a family member but can still be there for the person with dementia. Remember, they still are an emotional, their emotions are living. Um, and I suppose one thing, years ago I used to hear this more than I hear it now, but it's like the person with dementia, oh, they don't re it's, you know, maybe they don't really know what's happening to them or they don't really get it anymore. You well, know? they don't know who I am and that yeah. they can't talk to them, so what yeah. am I going for? Yeah. But yeah. actually, it's that, just sit and hold their hand and yeah. they might actually recognise that. And we do know that they, they, they can feel loved, they can feel accepted, they can feel comforted, and the opposite to those. They can feel anxious, they can feel lonely, they can feel that they're, they're not included. So we need to make sure that we're doing all of that. Thank you, Porik. I don't know if there is anything else that you feel is important to mention. I think everything we said applies to everyone, whether they're in, well, a lot of people with dementia, whether they're in a care home or in another environment, but really just 
I just think it's you know what you said earlier and I think in, in other episodes as well is that what you are aiming for is that person lives a good life right until the end and it is possible and that's the hopeful message that we have you know it it, it is progressive but yeah. the person can maintain quality of life and they can and well well uh, well-being well-being and you know there are surprises along the way and very close to the end sometimes there are those moments unexpected moments where the personality of the person comes through and mm. the yeah and i've seen those moments like one thing we didn't mention was you know one of the projects i was involved in was a project called music for life and in that project you know people with advanced you know even later stages of dementia they really were so empowered that they could actually take up the baton and conduct some music, mm-hmm. uh, improvised music with musicians. And you could see that moment of feeling in control that they had. And I suppose that's what we're trying to give people, is that they still do have some control. And um, very similarly... Um Things like, and again, I talk about people with advanced cognitive impairment, maybe mm. physical as well, due to dementia, but things to do with traditions. Yes. Whether it's prayer or songs that we yeah. sing at Christmas or other. Yeah. Though sometimes the person will stand up if they can, or, or not yeah. stand up, but sing the whole song. And you think, where is it coming from? Yeah. They may then sit down and not be able to communicate again. So maintaining, bringing back those very familiar Absolutely. experiences, it, like you say, is very worthwhile. Yeah. Like yeah, I worked in an organisation which was faith-based, and actually the celebration of the festivals on a regular basis and all the traditions around those festivals, you could really see how well people with dementia were able to engage with those. Lovely. What a nice place to, to stop thank you so much for coming, speaking to us and our listeners and sharing your experience and expertise. It's been wonderful. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I've just taken away this idea about pace, slowing things down when you need to, and patience. Mm-hmm. And a lot comes out from that. So thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. It's been a pleasure. And as well as the resources that we mentioned on our previous episode, part one of dementia, if you go to alzheimers.org.uk and you search for dementia, sensory impairment and communicating, there'll be a lot there for you. And what are we going to be talking about in our next episode, Gabriella? We are very fortunate to have a guest, Richard, who will talk to us and to our listeners about his own experience of uh, looking after and arranging care for his father with declining health and dementia, whilst also taking into account the needs of his mother. I am sure that in conjunction with our talks and the talks of the experts, somebody's personal experience will be very uh, interesting and touching for everybody to listen to. So that will be the next episode. Until next time, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.